Thank you for choosing Miniaturist of Baptist Church podcast. We hope you benefit from this message. If you'd like to learn more about Miniaturist of Baptist Church, please visit our website at miniaturistachurch.org. so choose and on the back side there is an opportunity for you to take some notes and yes there are seven things that you get to write in today pastor seven things on communion Sunday yes (laughs) we'll get through these so on the back of your bulletin it says this there are 89 chapters in the gospel so I counted them. Went to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and I counted 89 chapters. Of those 89, 29 are written about the Passion Week. And we are currently in the Passion Week. A number of weeks we've been studying the Passion Week. The Passion Week is when Jesus dies on a cross. On that Friday, there was things that happened during the Passion Week on Sunday, on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, on Thursday, Communion, Passover, and then Friday, of course, is uh, the Crucifixion. Of those 29 that are written about the Passion Week, 13 are written about Good Friday. 13 chapters in those 89 are just written about Good Friday, about Crucifixion Friday. Why is that? Because the last week of the life of Jesus is the heart of the gospel message. You're aware of that. We've seen the permanent shame of Judas. Looked at that a couple of weeks ago. And now we'll see the temporary shame of Peter. Peter's shame is temporary because Jesus' grace is greater than our sin, like that song we sang. Peter's shame is temporary because Jesus' grace is greater than our sin. So take your Bible and turn to Mark chapter 14. And we are going to look at verse 27 through 31. Just a few verses here, but I did come up with seven points from this text. And you will look at verse 26 as I shared last week and what I shared just a moment ago. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. As they were finishing Passover, they probably sang from one of the Psalms, and then they went out to the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives is on the eastern side of Jerusalem. It's after the Passover, and it's probably, uh, they spent time probably four, five, six hours together celebrating the Passover. It was something that they just took their time with. And so it could be probably close to 12 a.m. on now, Friday, early, early morning. And this is what it says. You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said exactly the same thing. 
That is the reading of God's Word. So some thoughts on Jesus, some thoughts on Peter, some thoughts on the devil, Satan, and some thoughts on us. The first one is this, Jesus is knowledgeable. Jesus is knowledgeable. First of all, he says, hey, as they're walking to the Mount of Olives, you will all fall away. You will all fall away. Jesus, of course, has spiritual knowledge that the eleven don't have. Jesus set aside some of his divine attributes, like his omnipresence. Jesus was not able to be everywhere at the same time. He set aside some of his divine attributes when he became a man. The Bible tells us that. But one that he kept, at least in part, was his omniscience. Omniscience means all-knowing. Jesus, I think for the most part, while he was a man, was still all-knowing. He knew the hearts of the Pharisees when they were questioning him. He knows the hearts of the disciples. He is all-knowing. So from his human side, now he's been with the eleven you know, Judas is gone now. He's been with the eleven for three years. He knows them. He knows them inside and he knows them outside. And from his human perspective, he knows that they're still not quite all together and that there's going to be some fragments happening when he has to go to the cross. He knows that from his human side. But he also knows that from his godly side, because he's omniscient, he knows that they will all fall away. But he also knows it because Scripture says that. So he knows it from his human side, he knows it from his godly side, and he knows it because the Bible says it, and Jesus knows the Bible, of course. Jesus told them, For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. That's from Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7. The sheep, he says, will be scattered. If you go over to the last verse... Well, maybe it's not the last verse. No, it's not. Uh, uh, chapter 14 of Mark, verse 50, it says this, Then everyone deserted him and fled. So Jesus knows this is going to happen. Jesus is knowledgeable. Peter, well, is prideful. Peter is prideful. Sometimes it's best to just not say anything. We were talking on Wednesday night, and uh, Donna brought up something that I had said about the second voice. I don't know if you've ever heard that, that idea of the second voice. The second voice is the person that can respond to the first voice. Okay? So let's just say I come home and Vicki says to me, You never put away the dishes! Why don't you ever put away the dishes? That's first voice. Okay? So, now I'm second voice. Okay? So, as second voice, I can determine what to say. I can say, Oh, yeah? Well, blah, 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 blah. Blah, blah. All right? Sometimes we do that. The second voice sometimes chimes in and then gives what for? You know? And so all the power for that conversation basically is in that second voice. 
And so the second voice can go and say all that yucky stuff, and then what happens? We're all familiar. Eh, you know, we do this, and it just gets ugly, and then we're sad that we disappointed each other, whether it's a friend or a spouse or anybody. The power of the second voice is the one that says, and I do this all the time, don't I, Vicky? You know, I, I know, I just, I don't put the dishes away very often. I'm super sorry about that. Okay? Right? All the time. <laughs> That's the power of the second voice. Peter had the opportunity to have the power of the second voice. When Jesus says to him, you will all fall away, Peter says, even if I fall, even if all fall away, I never will. I won't. I won't fall away. Even if, even if everybody else does, I won't. I won't. I promise. In fact, three different times in John chapter 13, you'd think that these were all the same account, but they're really not. John chapter 13, Matthew chapter 22, and Mark chapter 14. Three different times Peter has to say to the Lord, I will never do that. I will never do that. What Peter ought to have said was, after the Lord said, you're going to fall away, what he probably should have said was, Lord, I don't want to do that. How can you help me not do that? That would have been a good second voice for Peter. But instead he says, no, no way. I never will. Even if all of them fall away. And the other times he says, I'll, go, I'll die for you. I'll go all the way for you. Proverbs 11.2, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. Proverbs 29.23, a man's pride brings him low. On his own strength, this night, Peter is a failure. But with God's strength, look how Peter changed. No courage on Friday, but about two months later, two months later, take a look at Acts chapter 5. Two months later, show you how Peter and the other disciples changed their outlook. Acts chapter 5 and verse 29. They had just been arrested and beaten for their words concerning Jesus. And this is what Peter says in Acts chapter 5, verse 29. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. And then if you look over at verses 41 and 42, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. And then if you go over to the book of Peter, he is the author to that book, 1 Peter chapter 4. Just giving you a glimpse of what happened to Peter after the Holy Spirit came inside of him. He's all words here in Mark chapter 14, and then you all know the story. That little girl confronts him, and he says, I never knew the guy. And then 
basically cussed Jesus out. And then we know that he left weeping bitterly. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of God or the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God you bear that name. What a change. What a change in Peter from the one that is coward before the, the little girl at the fire ring while Jesus is crucified, uh, compared to a couple months later when he is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Peter is proudful and it gets him in trouble. The third point, Jesus is powerful. Jesus is powerful. He says in verse 28 of Mark 14, But after I have risen, after I have risen, Jesus has power over death. We all know that. He displayed that power by raising others from the dead, and most notably, probably Lazarus. The disciples feared death, so they ran. In the garden, when the soldiers came, uh, the Bible says they feared death, and basically they ran. But Jesus didn't. His omniscience, and I think maybe his all-power jumps in here, allowed him to be the sin-bearer of the entire world and accomplish the task God gave him to do. That's power. Jesus is powerful. His omniscience allowed him to be the sin-bearer of the world and accomplish the task that God gave him to do. Jesus was able to close his own eyes and give up his spirit because death did not have the final word. Death is not the victor, it says in the book of 1 Thessalonians. Jesus is the victor. And that's why we can have hope as believers. Jesus is the victor. Death is not the final victory. Jesus is. Peter is fearful. Fourth point, Peter is fearful. He doesn't know it now, but in a matter of hours he will be lured into the sin of unfaithfulness by the fear of persecution and death. When the pressure is on, the little girl at the fire ring questions whether Peter was one of the twelve, and he says, no. Does it again. No. Hey, you were with them. No. And he caves and disowns Jesus, we're told, three times. And then the rooster crows. And all of that makes sense now to Peter. And the Bible says he went away weeping bitterly. Here's something to think about. Identifying with Jesus can be dangerous. Identifying with Jesus sometimes can be dangerous. Ask Christians in China or Afghanistan or North Korea. 
And probably as time goes on, it's going to get more dangerous to be a Christian here in America. We're starting to see that come to fruition. How do you respond when the conversation or the actions turn antichrist? Do you go along with everybody and laugh at that yucky joke? Do you jump in with non-Christians and do what they do and do what they say? Here's a question for you. Do you consider yourself a brave Christian? Do you consider yourself a brave Christian? You know, Peter got that that way a couple months after he was a cowardly Christian. (laughs) Peter got that way and he says, Hey, if you suffer for the name of Christ, that's good. Hang on to that. He became a super brave Christian and legend says that he died upside down on a cross because he didn't feel he was worthy to die the same way that Jesus did. But right here, Peter is fearful. Number five, Jesus is humble. Jesus is humble. I love what Jesus says here, that he would meet them in Galilee. So he says, but after I have risen... I will go ahead of you into Galilee. He humbly went to the cross alone. That's what Jesus did. He was, I mean, some of his followers were there, John and some of the Marys were there. But by and large, John was the only disciple that was at the cross. He went to the cross basically alone. And then he humbly restored the eleven when he met them in Galilee. So he got them together in the end and with the great commission and the power of the Holy Spirit enabled them to change the world forever. But not too much earlier, well it says in chapter 14 verse 50, everyone deserted him. Jesus humbly went to the cross, but then he humbly went ahead of them into Galilee and restored them. And then I want to talk to you about the devil, Satan. And if you can kind of get a feel for what's going on here, Jesus is knowledgeable, Peter is prideful, Jesus is powerful. Peter is fearful. Jesus is humble. Satan is terrible. <laughs> I, couldn't, I mean, there's got to be some better words out there. You can, you can go home and think about that. There's got to be better words than terrible. But uh, the, the devil is terrible. This past week, this past Wednesday, in Dr. David Jeremiah um, morning devotion, it says this. Actually, it wasn't, it wasn't. It was Friday, a couple of days ago. Perhaps... Satan's greatest trick concerns his own identity. He has enabled the world to think of him as an impish demon dressed in red with a pitchfork and a pointy tail. He is pictured as sitting on one shoulder whispering suggestions into the ear. A cartoon character worthy of a laugh. But nothing could be more wrong. Instead of a red-dressed imp 
Satan is a powerful being portrayed in Scripture like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He can destroy, divide, and discourage using that which reveals his character. Lies, counterfeits, and deception. He was given the name devil, diabolos, accuser, slanderer in scripture because of his tactic of slandering us before God and slandering God before us. But for all his schemes and power, we do not need to fear him, for the God who is in us is greater than the devil who is in the world. Be ready for spiritual battle by submitting to God and resisting the devil, and he will flee from you. The devil is terrible, and it seems like whatever God created that was good, the devil wants to turn to evil and yuck. God created male and female. And I went online, and these are all the letters now that go along with this. God created male and female, and the devil created LGBTQIA+. You know? The devil did that. And I thought, what in the heck is plus at the end of it for? Just in case they find something else that they want to tack on. God says to man and woman, multiply. And the devil creates abortion. God says to the church, be unified. And the devil creates COVID-19. <laughs> I mean, I've talked to pastors after pastors after pastors who have said that the devil has really used that pandemic to cause great division in their churches, and ours is no exception. God created races, and He created all of us in the image of God. And now we're starting to hear about critical race theory and how it is, from our perspective, unbiblical approach to race. And for those of you that aren't familiar with critical race theory, I, I made a little copy over there. It's what they're hoping to start teaching in our schools, and it's really a very unbiblical way of looking at the races that God created. Whatever, whatever the Lord created, the, the devil counterfeits. He wants to do something else. And he wants to do it to you and to me, especially as believers. If you take your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 24, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 22, same story, but in Luke's idea, this is what it says in verse 31. They're in the upper room, and uh, Simon, who is Peter, uh, is again saying all kinds of dumb things. And so the Lord says in verse 31, Luke 22, 31, He says, Simon, Simon. First of all, Jesus changed His name to Peter. Peter means the rock. But Jesus is calling him Simon here. Why? Because he's reverting back to his old self. Jesus says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked 
to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. You know what? Satan wants to sift all of us. He wants to sift all of us. And I looked that word up, the Greek word for sift. It's an inward agitation to try one's faith. That's what this idea of sifting is. It's an inward agitation to try one's faith. And that is the business of Satan. He is wanting to sift. He is wanting to agitate you and me. He's wanting to agitate the church. He's wanting to agitate you and your spouse, you and your work associates. And he wants to agitate you away from your faith. That's his business. But you know, it's interesting because it says in that passage in Luke that Satan had to ask Jesus to sift Simon. Satan had to ask Jesus if he could sift him. Remember Job? Satan has to ask God if he can test Job and Paul the same way. Satan, and uh, according to that passage, is hoping to sift all of the disciples. It's plural there. And you know what? He succeeded. When you think about it, Judas kills himself. Thomas is not with the others. Remember when Jesus appeared? Thomas is by himself somewhere, so he's left. Two others are wandering down the road to Emmaus. And two others, Peter and John, are out fishing. The disciples who were together for three years are all fragmented now. Because, the Satan, uh, because Satan was able to do what he wanted to do, he was able to sift them and it agitated and tried their faith so that they basically, after Jesus died, went back to what they were doing before. And it's not until Matthew 28, verse 16, that we see them all together in different spots after his resurrection. We see small groups of them, but in Matthew chapter 28, verse 16, we see them all together. And then after the Great Commission, we see them going about the Lord's business, doing amazing things with the power of the Holy Spirit. Last point. Jesus is faithful. Jesus is faithful. You know, for that point, I just want to read a couple of passages to you. The first one is Hebrews chapter 12, and uh, verses 1 and 2. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And here's the faithfulness of Jesus. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's the faithfulness of Jesus. The joy set before him. You're thinking, wait a second, the cross? It's the least likely place to find joy. But it was the joy set before him after the cross enduring it, scorning its shame, and sitting down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is faithful. And then Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. 
your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself. That's that idea of him not taking all of his spiritual, all of his uh, godly attributes with him to the, to the earth, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, the faithfulness of Jesus, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Seven points from those passages, and the last one is this, talking about you. We must be available. Available. But if you look at that, uh, I gave some other blanks there. So you can go home and think about what else you could be that maybe has a LE at the end of it or a full at the end of it. We must be available. Anything come to mind right now? You can't use teachable because we use that as the title of our message. You can't, be, you can't use knowledgeable, you can't use prideful, you can't use powerful, you can't use fearful, you can't use humble, you can't use terrible, you can't use faithful. You are available and... Joyful. Joyful, okay. You can be joyful. Obediently, you can be obedientful. Okay, all right. Chet, we'll, we will allow that, yes, Chet. Okay. <laughs> Actually, you can put your own thing. The Lord wants us to be available. And uh, I had somebody ask or tell me a long time ago, he asked me, are you fat? And I said, wait, what? It very, seems very rude. And he said, no, no. Faithful, available, teachable. As a believer. Faithful, available, teachable. No, there's faithful... Teachable, available, you can fill in as the Lord leads. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. Hey, Peter was teachable, but even more important than that, Jesus said he'd pray for him, and then he allowed him grace greater than his sin, and he accepted him. In fact, he gave him a very important role in the New Testament church. Lord, we want to be available, we want to be teachable. We want to be knowledgeable. We want to be joyful. We want to be obedient. All those things, Lord. I pray that that would be something that we could dwell on at least today and maybe this week. Being available. Allowing the Lord to use us as He will. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Minnetrista Baptist Church is a community of Christ followers who value preaching and teaching scripture, biblical obedience, community, prayer, and evangelism. If you'd like to learn more about Minnetrista Baptist Church, please visit our website at minnetristachurch.org and come by for a Sunday morning service. We'd love to meet you.